The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. We're going to begin with just hearing from God's Word. And so our text today is Romans chapter 6. If you want to turn there in your Bible or maybe you've got a phone or an iPad or something, Romans chapter 6. Uh, If you're wondering why we're not in Revelation, we're just going to take a a break from Revelation, pause there just for a minute, in order to focus on the freedom we have in our baptism, to just to set us up, to get us ready to to celebrate what's going to occur this morning. So we're going to find that in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 14. This is Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 14. So let's hear the word of the Lord. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will not have dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. This is God's word. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the Lord Jesus and what he's done for us. We thank you for the beauty of a local church where we can know and love one another in Christ's name. We thank you for Johnny and Allison and the work you're doing in their lives as you have in so many of our own. And Lord, we pray now that as we come to your word, your Holy Spirit would give us open eyes, open hearts to hear what you're saying, to believe you. And Lord, please help me to teach this faithfully and clearly so that Jesus might be exalted. We pray this in his name. Everybody said, amen. So are you free? And are you living in that freedom? Are you free and are you living in that freedom? Some might say, hey, I live in America. Of course I'm free. Or others might be concerned, hey, we're losing some freedoms in this country. Well, I should make it really clear that what we're talking about today is not that kind of freedom at all. You could be in a prison in North Korea and still enjoy this kind of freedom. This is not the kind of freedom that could be taken by any government. So are you free? And are you living in that freedom? You might say, well, I'd feel more free if my financial system situation was a little different. Can anybody relate to that? 
I'd be a little more free with my, if I had a little more resources, economic limitations can be tough. But let me tell you, you can be the richest person in the world and still be very much a slave. You can be tragically poor and totally free. So are you free? Are you living in that freedom? Maybe you're wondering what I even mean at this point. So now I wanna get into this incredible portion of this book of Romans and see three things with you. I wanna see the slavery, the nature of our slavery, the salvation, the nature of our salvation, and the rehabilitation. All of this signified by what we're gonna celebrate today, signified by our baptism. So we'll begin with the nature of our slavery. And we see this as we begin in this passage in this question that is asked. Look at Romans 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? What is, what is Paul asking? Why is he asking this? Why is he raising this point? Well, to catch up with this conversation a little bit, we've got to parachute in, right, to what's already been said. I want to define our terms a little bit. What if I asked you, hey, what is sin? How would you answer that? What is sin? Here's a, a definition I'll throw out at you. Sin is a rebellious denial of the value of God as shown in our disobedience to his law. Let's just unpack that a little bit. Number one, it's rebellious. Um, we know that God is the creator of heaven and earth and he made us for himself. We're designed to know and be satisfied in him. So sin starts with a rebellion that says, I don't want the way you made me. I'm gonna do this on my own. Second, it's a denial of the value of God. When we believe the lie that God's not true, his word's not good, our hearts are still longing for happiness, hope, satisfaction. You gotta look somewhere and if you're not gonna look, at, for, if you're not gonna look to God, well, then you're gonna replace him and put in something else. So it's a rebellious denial of the value of God that shows itself in disobedience to God's law. So we've all disobeyed God's law. Do you believe that? Have you ever lied? Anyone? Okay. And if you're like, no, never. Well, now you just have, right? Um, why did you lie? If you go deeper, 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 you'll see it was because it was a rebellious denial of the value of God. He wasn't enough for you in that moment. What he's done wasn't enough for you in that moment. So you had to, you had to scrape it up on yourself. You had, to, you had to be autonomous. You had to be independent. You had to go outside of what he said because he wasn't good enough for you in that, in that time and that place. So that's a picture of sin. Paul says, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? That's another term we need to unpack. What is grace? I like to say that grace is the lavish, undeserved love of God for sinners through Jesus and what he's done. Lavish, you never see the end of it. It pours out, it, it's never done. Um, undeserved, you cannot earn this. It comes to you freely despite what you've deserved. And it's the love of God for, through, for sinners through Jesus and what he's done. We can be forgiven of all our sin and restored to fellowship with God through Jesus Christ. So back to this question, what shall we say? Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? Here's why this question comes up. It's because from chapters one through five, Paul has said something totally unique when it comes to the histories, or, or when it comes to the religions of all the world and every philosophy of life, Paul said something totally unique. Here's what he said. He's saying that being, he said that being right with God, being accepted by God, being loved by God, having a close relationship with God cannot be attained by you being a good person. That's so radical. 
You realize every other religious teacher is like, let me show you the way, go do this and you can be good enough. Even if you're an atheist or an agnostic, you've got some moral sense, and you're like, well, a good person is this. You can do it, you can do it, it's in your hands, go do it. And, and Paul has said the same thing that Jesus said, the same thing that every other apostle says, that's a, that's a, that's a joke. That's a joke. You cannot be right with God by being good enough. Why? Because you'll never be good enough. You'll never be good enough. You say, well, I'm a good person. I mean, think of, I'm so much better than Hitler was. And it's like, well, congratulations. That's not the standard God's gonna use. He's gonna use his holy law as we see in his word. Sums, sums up in uh, two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength every time. Your motives, your thoughts, your words, your deeds. Oh, and love your neighbor as yourself every time. Come on, I haven't done that. Nobody's done that. So how are we gonna be right with God if we cannot earn it? And that's just it. This is grace in Jesus Christ. The only way to be right with God is to humbly receive what Jesus has done for us as a gift. Jesus is our righteousness. He's the eternal son of God, the beloved of the father in heaven. In unbelievable humility, he took on flesh and became human. He's God's promised king. He lived the perfect life of obedience, not a single sin. He died on the cross as a substitute for the sins of his people. He paid the debt we owed in our place. He rose from the dead in victory. He's defeated sin and the death it brings. And the promise of the gospel is this. If you will repent of your sin, you're rebellious, denial of the value of God and trust Jesus and what he's done. All that Jesus is and all that he's done is freely and fully and totally given to you in that moment by grace through faith in Christ. So that's, that's why we see this, this amazing, like amazing torrent of grace for those who trust Christ. Look what Paul said in Romans 4, 5, just to, to sum this up. To the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted righteousness. Did you see what God does? He justifies. That means he declares people innocent, right with him. And who does he do that for? Believes in him who justifies the who? The ungodly. Do you see this? No matter what you've done in your past, no matter how awful you've been, even if you're those people, you know, those people that you think, ooh, they're really awful. Even if you're one of them, if you come to Christ, and put your faith in him, God will justify you and make you right with him, count you as righteous, which is why Paul can say this in Romans 5.20, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Have you heard the song Amazing Grace? Kind of a famous Christian song, okay? Amazing Grace, how sweet sound, save a wretch like me. Who wrote that, anybody remember? John Newton. And you remember what his job was before he became a Christian? He's a slave traitor talk about ungodly talk about cannot earn your salvation talk about deserving of a thousand hells amazing grace he says how sweet the sound saved a wretch like me because he'd found that jesus christ was enough more than enough to make him right with god amazing that's what's so radical about this gospel so you can be right with a holy god as a freely as a gift as you trust Jesus who he is and what he's done. Wow, wow, and grace overwhelms all our sin, past, present, future, forever, wow. Now we can see a little bit about why Paul asked this question though, can't we? Romans six, 
Shall we continue in sin so that grace might abound? You're thinking, hey, so the more I sin, the more Jesus gives me grace, the more I kind of praise him for that grace. Well, what if I just keep on sinning like a villain, right? And just keep rolling on this sin and then more grace and then God's more glorified. And hey, does that mean I could like get a jail out of free card? Get out, well, I said that wrong. I get it, a get out of jail free card. You know, you're just like, you, you, just, you keep sinning, but you're like, I got the card forgiven so I can just keep living however I want. Now, is, that, is that what the question means? We think, no, that doesn't sound quite right. And yet, doesn't grace overwhelm our, is, as a Christian, do you trust that God is gonna forgive every single one of your sins, past, present, and future? What hope do you have if he doesn't? So what do we do with this? What do we do with this? And then we realize for Paul, all these, all these rhetorical questions he gives, they come out of debates he's had with people before. And then we realize for Paul, some people, some people want this. And as you look at the history of the church, history of religious teaching, there's a lot of people who want this. And I wonder if even sometimes your heart doesn't want this. Well, I know God's gonna forgive me, so this next little sin's not gonna be that big of a deal, is it? You ever pulled that one before? Is there a habit in your life, you know, that's not what God wants for your life, but you're like, well, he forgives. So wouldn't it be nice, right, to uh, continue in sin? Just keep doing it, knowing that, hey, grace will be enough. And Paul says, if you're asking that question with the desire for it, you're more enslaved than you ever thought. You're still a slave. What? Look, Romans 6, verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would, what? No longer be enslaved to sin. It's really important that you think about the reality of your slavery, the reality of my slavery. Hopefully, for Christians, our ex-slavery. You know, we usually think of slavery as external, right? A, a cruel master is gonna force someone to do and be something against his will. So the force comes from externally and makes somebody a slave. Still 40 million slaves in the world today. Slavery's awful, slavery's evil. We should hate it every kind, every way. That's not the kind of slavery this is. This kind of slavery is not external, forced on you from the outside. This kind of slavery is internal. It comes from inside. Look at what Paul says later in this chapter, Romans 6, 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as what? Obedient slaves. You are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. It's a crazy statement. You might want to push back on this. Did you hear what Paul just said? He just said, everybody's a slave. Everyone's a slave. Wait, what? You might be thinking, no, I'm free. I do what I want. Of course you do. That's actually the issue. That's actually the problem. It's what you most want. It's what you want. We are all presenting ourselves to something, serving something all the time. Come on, don't you know this about your heart? You're looking for satisfaction. You're looking for significance in the world. You're looking for acceptance. You're looking for meaning. You're looking for vindication. You're looking for security for the future. You're looking for pleasure. You're looking for all of these things and you're gonna find it somewhere 
And when you find something you make as an ultimate in that, you will serve that thing passionately. In fact, you are right now. What if some... What if somebody came and did an in-depth study of your life for a month and they, thought that they saw things you don't want most of us to see and they saw like where your mind went and what you did with your spare time and how you used your money and what you longed for in the world and what you kept going after. This thing, this thing in your heart where you said, if I have this, then I'm finally, I finally have enough in this area and if I lose this, life is over. What is that for you? I mean, we can do this with nearly anything, right? Uh, recognition from others, or maybe it's the sense of being independence from others. It could be family, it could be health, it could be romance, it could be sensuality, it could be a political cause, it could be money, career, comfort, entertainment. You're serving this thing. You're throwing your time at it, your effort at it. Any other master in the world would be like, wow, I have a slave like this that serves me so faithfully. What do you serve? Who are you serving? You see, we're presenting ourselves to something. And in our sin, we're usually making something the ultimate that is not God himself. If your answer is, you know, where do I find ultimately this if the answer is not God through Jesus Christ? You've got the wrong master. We're internally slaves. So do you see how now this question's kind of twisted? Can we uh, continue in sin so that grace might abound? If you want that to the extent that you want that, you're still a slave. You want the wrong things. We think of true freedom as getting what we want. It's almost true. But what if you want the wrong things in the wrong way? Here's a bad example. A bad example, Hitler, okay? Did he get what he wanted? to some respect, for many, many years, to the domination of every other person in the world. Yeah, it was all about him and what he wanted. Uh, selfish pride unhinged. Would you call him free? No. He wanted the wrong things. So what's true freedom then? Wanting the right things in the right way. And ultimately, that means you want God himself and his ways. Jesus said this, Matthew 5, 6. What did Jesus say? Blessed are those who, what? Hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be. What? This is an incredible promise. If you want the right thing in the right way, you'll be happy. You'll get it. That's what we're thinking about now. The nature of our slavery is that we offer our hearts to things other than God during our, due to our warped desires. We present our things to other masters other than the God who's created us. So now we get to see the salvation, the salvation. Look again at Romans 6, one to three. What shall we say then? Are we continue in sin that grace may abound by no means? How can we die to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So in answer to his rhetorical question, uh, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Paul says, no way. I mean, it's the strongest negative in the Greek language. Absolutely not. But here's his answer. Here's, here's why that's impossible for Christians. What did he say about you? Do you not know, he says? There's something you really need to know here. There's something you really need to see. He says, don't you know you died? Let's just let that land on you. If you're a Christian, the moment you trusted Jesus Christ, you died. 
And that sounds a little odd to say, doesn't it? Because here we are, and I'm looking at you, and you're, you don't look dead. You're living. What are we saying? How is it that you died? Paul wants you to know that if you're a Christian, you've already died. In fact, you've already begun your resurrection. What? How can this be? Look at verse 5. Verse 5 makes it clear. For if we have been united with him. These are probably the sweetest words in the Bible. United with him. There's something that happens to you when you trust Christ truly and genuinely. It's fundamental and it's permanent. It's mysterious and it's wonderful. God intimately connects you to Jesus Christ. You're in him. How many times is that in the New Testament? In Christ, in Christ, in Christ. All the time. Listen to the language of this text. You're baptized into Christ, dipped, put into Christ, buried with him, raised with him, united with him in a death like him, united with him in resurrection. You're united to Christ. Just look at the generosity of God for a moment. When you feel guilty for your sin, you're like, Lord, I'm sorry, I trust Christ. It's not like God puts you in the corner and he's like, well, I'll sort of forgive you, but you're kind of, you know, you're definitely not varsity Christian. You're like waif Christian. You ever feel that way sometimes? There's no Christian like that because the only way to be a Christian is to be totally and completely unified to Jesus Christ. Do you see how generous God is here? He does not just give you the, the leftovers he fully gives you the best he could possibly give that every single believer would be united to the person of Jesus Christ. And now we see what the power of salvation ought to be like. It's not only believing true facts as important as true facts are. They're so important. But it's not just believing in facts. It's being united to a person. It's being united to a person. Wow. To Jesus and what he's done. And so we see this unification with Jesus doesn't only forgive us. Grace doesn't just forgive, it totally forgives, absolutely forgives. But grace doesn't just forgive, grace transforms. Grace transforms. When they say, hey, can we sin a little more so that grace might abound? Paul's saying, you don't get it. When grace abounds, you're not only forgiven, you're also changed. And what changes? Remember, the slavery is what we want. So then what changes in our salvation, in our freedom? What we want. What we want changes. Do you realize how important this is? Uh, I've been a pastor for a couple years. And something I get a lot is this world looks at Christians and says, this is a joke because Christians are too hypocritical. Have you ever had that thought? You ever had that thought? Me too, okay? Me too. Do you see how important this is? So many Christians maybe just think, oh, grace just forgives. Do you see what the, the power of the, of the freedom of our baptism shows us? Grace transforms so that we love God and his ways. And this is what our baptism is showing us. Romans six seventeen. look what Paul says. Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the what? from the heart to the standard of teaching to which we were committed. See, there's that changed heart. We believe the gospel now. We have a new king, a new master. A fundamental change has begun. And baptism kind of shows us this. Look at verse six. 
We know that our old self was crucified with him in order the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for one who has died has been set free from sin. We know from this passage, Jesus died to sin for us. He refused it. He died to save us from it. If you're united to Christ, guess what? You go where he goes. And if he has gone into denying sin, where must you and I go? We die to sin as well. And this language that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, it basically just means that this old life of rebellion against God that used to have, it's stripped of all its power. It's lost all its muscle. It doesn't have the whip behind you anymore. It doesn't take over you anymore. It's, it's a waif, it's a wimp. The strength isn't there anymore. You can beat it. The slavery is over because you died with Christ. So I'm gonna get uh, Johnny and Allison a little bit wet this morning. I'm gonna dump water on their heads. And there, let me just tell you right now, I have no magical abilities that makes the water holy and changes them into anything. We don't believe that. I don't have that. But this is a symbol, right? It's a, it's a symbol that we all share together in the local church. And that symbol of that water is, water is judgment so often in the scriptures. And to, and to go in it, to get wet, symbolizes death to the old life of rebellion. And why can we say that's happened? Because we've been unified to Jesus through faith. In the same way, the resurrection has begun. As you come out of the water, as you dry off from the water, we see this, verse, verses eight to 10. If we have died with Christ, we believe that we'll also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Die again. Death has no dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So our resurrection has begun as well. That old life of rebellion against God has died and this new life has begun. As he rose, our resurrection has started. It's like the life that we'll live in heaven is kind of leaking into the life of right now where we begin to love God and love his ways. And so death and sin no longer owns us just as we will one day rise from the dead, literally physically when Jesus returns, even now our hearts have risen to new life. Do you see a life we live to God? And that's what coming out of the water signifies. I have a new life. I have a new master, a generous, kind, good master, my God and King, the one who saved me through Jesus Christ. So, so far we're seeing our slavery. Our slavery is internal. It's desires that replace God as God and replace him with something else. And that shows itself in our disobedience to his word. But Jesus is our salvation. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for our sins. He rose from the dead. As we trust in him, we are forgiven of all our sins, made right with God, and the transformation begins. We love God and his ways. So I'll just ask you one more question as we continue. Grace doesn't just forgive, grace transforms. How many of you are thinking, then why is this so hard? I mean, uh, there's a couple of Christians in the room. Is this how your Christianity worked? You believe in Jesus, it's like a button was hit and you never sinned again. You know, it's not like that at all. It's not like that at all. So I wanna be clear, I'm not preaching like perfectionism. You believe Jesus and oh, perfect, no more sin. I don't live that way. My, my family's here. If I taught that, they'd all be like, we were with you yesterday. Okay. I, I, don't, I don't believe that. And I don't think that's in this text. It's not that sin's presence is gone forever. It's that sin's dominion is gone forever. You no longer have to sin. 
You've got power and resources to bust out of this. And that's what we get into now, the rehabilitation. Part of the secret for change is in how you consider yourself. I think verse 11 is one of the most important verses in the Bible. So also you must consider yourselves, what? Dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You know, if I just tackle my day being like, all right, I'm here I go, I can do it. And then stuff comes at me, hits me in the kidneys, hits me by surprise. You know, it's kind of belch out sometimes. All varieties of sin, <laughs> pride, defensiveness, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If I somehow am loaded up on the promises of God from his word and I'm praying this out and I'm facing my day like, you know what? This is amazing. I have actually been unified to Jesus. I mean, do you believe that? That he is with you throughout your day, closer than a breath, that you, God the Father has unified you to him so that his death is your death, his life is your life, and that cannot be undone, it's yours forever. It's by grace through faith, you didn't earn it, you didn't deserve it, he's here, he's with you. And then you can see, you know what? His death is my death. I don't need this sin anymore. I don't need it. It's not my satisfaction or security or meaning or vindication. It's not, just a teeny little illustration. Somebody says something nasty to you, right? Insulting, demeaning. What's your general response? You're all really nice people, I know, but you know, my general, my, my, my natural response would be like, well, let's fire this right back at you, okay? Why, why do you love that so much? Why do you love it so much? Why do you want it so much? You wanted to be vindicated, didn't you? You wanted to be seen as right. You wanted to win. But what if, what if you knew Jesus was with you and he has said of you, you're already vindicated. You're mine. You're loved, you're forgiven. And now I want you to walk, Jesus would say, the way I walked. I want you to love your neighbor. I want you to forgive. I want you to respond in, gener in, in gentleness and in kindness. And if you knew, you know what? I'm dead to sin. I'm dead to vindicating myself. I no longer need this anymore because I have a new life. I'm alive with God in Jesus Christ. I consider myself this way. Do you see, do you see the power of that? You begin to live like who you already are. This is how Christianity works. I mean, we're still downloaded with all the other religions. If you did this good enough, you'd one day make it. I can't, right. Christianity's different. It doesn't say earn it and then become. It says you become, so now you can live like it. Jesus earned it. You see, Jesus earned it. What's the point of his life, death, and resurrection? He earned it. If you trust in him, you're right with God. You're in. You're an adopted child of God forever. You have it. You have become. You have been vindicated. You have been welcomed. You have security. You have meaning. You have Christ. Now live like who you already are. Live like who you already are. And so that first question looks ridiculous now. Hey, uh, since can we go on and sin so that grace might abound? A Christian from the heart who knows that person, who knows they've been unified to Christ says, who would want to do that? I've been set free. I don't want that anymore. I've got new desires. That's the rehabilitation. 
to see yourself in this way. And then you put it into practice, verses 12 to 13. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. See, it's gonna be a fight. It's not easy, it's not all at once, but let not sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Don't present your members, that's just all you are, your mind, your mouth, your hands, etc. Don't present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Do you see it? Present yourselves now to God as those who have been brought from death to life. It's already occurred. Because you've been united to Christ and what he's done. And friends, we can grow in this, we must grow in this, is the Christian life, because we stand in grace. You remember what grace is? The undeserved love of God that has united believers to Jesus and all he's done. Look at Romans 6, 14. So beautiful. Sin will no longer have dominion over you. Why? Since you're not under law, but under grace. What do we we tend to wanna do with people who are practicing sin? I take my law machine gun and I stuff some law in there. I cock that thing and I just unload law, you know. And, oh. No one has ever stopped sinning like that. Do you see this? No one has ever stopped sinning like this. So you did get your life together with all the law and now you're prideful about it. Now you're self-righteous about it. You're still in sin. No, the thing that saves you, you're not under law. What does it mean? The law is no longer the standard for how you relate to God anymore. The law is no longer the judge of how you relate to God anymore. You're not under it. It's been done. How can this be? Jesus fulfilled the law for you and gave that to you. Jesus paid for all the ways you broke the law for you, gave that to you. You're not under it anymore. What are you under? Grace grace, which means when you fail, does God forgive you? Well, heck yeah. But grace doesn't just forgive. What else does grace do? Grace transforms because you've been united to Jesus Christ and he changes hearts. He changes hearts. So are you free? If you're a Christian, you are fundamentally free, whether or not you feel it, whether or not you're exceptionally living in it right now. You've been united to Christ, you are free. Are you free? If you're not a Christian, you're not free. That's what this text is saying. And so we just invite you, like God's people do throughout the ages, we invite you to trust Jesus Christ. Look to him and what he's done, believe on him. He will set you free. He will set you free. Are you free? Are you living in your freedom? Well. What's the answer for every Christian in here, at least the ones I know? Are you living in your freedom? Sort of, right? Sort of. So what do we wanna do as we see these baptisms? We're looking at this outward sign that we're celebrating as a local church, and we're remembering the core issue, which is what happens in the heart. And so we're totally celebrating with this, this work of God to change people and bring them to himself. And we're also remembering this thing we share together, right? Baptism belongs in the local church. Because if you're united to Christ and I'm united to Christ, do the math, guess what? We're united together. We do this together. And so if we, as we do this moment together and we see it and we remember, we're remembering who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And we're saying, this is our freedom. We've been united to Jesus Christ. So, fount of life. 
The ultimate freedom is to be united to Jesus. It happens by grace through faith, not according to what we deserve or what we've earned. And that is the truest freedom to have the Lord Jesus. Um, and he forgives us. He also transforms us. So I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna move things around a little bit. And then we will invite Allison up to give her testimony. Um, Allison, I just wanna assure you right away that this is the friendliest audience in the universe and that you're already loved and accepted. And so we're proud of you. But let me, let me pray and then we'll transition to baptisms. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for this word. We thank you that you give us the greatest gift ever, Jesus Christ himself. And I pray uh, for those who don't know Jesus that you would move their hearts to trust him, to pursue him, to look to him. I pray that for those who do, we would remember uh, the, the reality of our unification with him and we would see ourselves in that way and that sin and its grossness and its vileness would no longer have dominion over us because we are in your grace. We thank you for these incredible promises and we pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. amen. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.fountainoflifefellowship.com.